of the Survival Podcast. I expect it'll be a very well-attended live stream because the title is Gloom and Doom. The title, if you didn't look before you started listening, everything is going to crash. And it is. It's going to be bloody and awful and wonderful at the same time. The, The problem is that the solutions may be bigger problems. And we'll talk some about that today. But I want to talk about why you have to take this seriously today. Uh, And you really do, because if you don't, you're going to be sitting here six months from now to a year and a half from now, maybe even two years. Remember what I said the last show we did like this? One of the lessons of the 08 crisis is that sometimes these things take a very long time before gradually become suddenly, and it seems like, if it was going to happen, it would have happened. You're looking at something like the Jenga game, again, with all the holes in it, and you can't believe the thing hasn't fallen yet, but it's going to fall. There's a point when you play Jenga that you just can't pull another piece out and get it on the top without it coming crashing to the absolute ground. So we're going to talk about how some of those things are today. I've got some interesting things from you, for you today. I've got a YouTube comment that I want to cover that is going to really show an indicator that this is the type of thing that these so-called economists on TV should look at, and they never do. I also have a YouTube comment that, you know, when people, when people look at this, there's a mindset that you have to have. And this this comment is in response to my show that I did last week called The Wall of Kant. This person got very knotted in the pants, right? He got a big old wedgie, big old uh, asswad, because I said that the people that were more successful are better than you. And, of course, the message there was that, well, that means you can better yourself. And we'll talk about that. Not really picking on the guy either. Just showing you this better not be the mentality that you have. Uh, We're going to go on from there and talk about some things that are in the news. Mortgages and uh, foreclosures on mortgages and uh, repossession of car loans. But I'm going to talk about something that is not being talked about right now. And that is on this next big drop, and we will have it sooner or later, there is something that has never happened before. I call it the Airbnb trap. And and for today, when you hear me say Airbnb, Vbro, anything like it. Right, I'm just genericizing it, right? We used to say, you know, we're going to Xerox something, but the copier might not have been a Xerox machine back in those days, right? Uh, but everything was a Xerox, even though not everything was a Xerox. So we're just going to talk about Airbnb kind of like we used to use the term Xerox. The Xerox got really, really angry about it. They should have embraced it because it just meant that they had complete dominance on name brand recognition. Uh, we're going to talk about how economic crisis is always used to cover currency rebasement. And the difference between rebasement and debasement, all rebasements tend to be debasements, but not all debasements are rebasements. And and that'll make sense when I talk about it. Um, Ray Dalio says the world is on the brink of great disorder. He's actually channeling quite a bit of the four turnings. 
I feel in his article. We'll talk about that just for a bit. And the Fed just raised interest rates again. Of course, everybody's talking about that, but what does it mean? What is the signal in this climate where the Fed meets and once again raises rates? It's a very important thing to understand because if you think somebody's coming to save you, you're wrong. And they're telling you that they're not coming to save you. They're telling you that. Um, and here comes a trucking strike and the death of one of the largest trucking companies in the United States because unions destroy everything that they touch. I'm sorry if you're a union member and you like your union, but in the end, sooner or later, unions ruin everything. About the only place they don't ruin everything is because it's already always ruined. It's public sector unions, government unions, because the government's never really out of money until it's completely out of money, right? You can always print more money. But when you look at what unions do to industry, um, they destroy everything that they touch. And in this case, they're going to destroy a company called Yellow and put 30,000 truckers out of business. And there's going to have to be a time before that comes back online. So what's that do to supply chains? We've always talked about a trucker strike being, well, a real problem if it happens. This wouldn't be a trucker strike everywhere, but it would take an awful lot of cargo off the road. So we'll talk about that. Then we're going to talk about something that doesn't seem like it's connected to this, but I believe it's directly connected to this. This is all this UFO alien bullshit theater that they're putting on in Congress for you. I'm going to point something out that some people I don't think want to talk about with this. Uh, there's there's a little flaw in a lot of these theories here with these. Uh, we have the alien technology, man. Okay. What about why? All of a sudden, the, the hypnotist has switched from booster shots and, and whatnot to aliens. As they try to hypnotize you. And then we'll end with a message about what you need to do about it. So you're going to get almost all gloom and doom today. Uh, maybe Thursday we'll talk about some good things that are happening. Because there are some good things happening as well. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Butcher Box. If you want a giant box of delicious meat to come to your front door every single month, get on board with Butcher Box. If you're like, I don't need a box every month. You can pause your subscription at any time, or you can switch to every other month. It's up to you. You can get a big box or a giant box, and you can do add-ons. It's really a great deal. Butcher Box has been a long-term sponsor of the show, and I say this all the time, but I say it because it's true. They're the only sponsor I have that doesn't pay me with money. They pay me with product. I'm going to eat every month, so I take product every month in the value of a sponsorship. So that's really cool. Next up today, I am featuring uh, Nicole Sauce and John Willis's Self-Reliance Festival, and I'm making an announcement officially. I think this is already out there, but it's officially for me now. I will be at Self-Reliance Festival in October. If you want to meet me, it'd be a great place to do it. I know a lot of times my workshop that happens around the 1st of November sells out. People can't come that want to meet me, or they can't take as much time because this is a shorter time frame. Or it costs too much. And so this is an opportunity, very affordable, 75 bucks for basic tickets. Now, that's early bird pricing. It expires today. This is the last chance for the early bird pricing. There's also some other, like, hands-on workshops on both sides of the dates. The dates are the 14th and 15th of October for the main presentations. But there's also a ham radio workshop on the 12th and 13th or a poultry processing workshop on the 16th. And so those can be bought a la carte. 
uh, or you can add, you know, add them on and, and buy both the, the main pass and one of those or both of them if you want to. But wait, there is more. Yep. If you want to have kind of extra special time, there are VIP ticket passes. There's only 20 of them available right now. Um, one of the big things that you get out of it, there's a speaker reception on Saturday evening. That's where you get a lot less people around to talk to people like me. Joel Salatin's going to be there, et cetera. Um, 450 bucks, you get that reception. Uh, you got post-event recordings. You get special parking that's really, really convenient, guaranteed spots, things like that. Makes your life just a little bit easier. And so if you want to kind of be part of this at a bigger level, consider the VIP option. There are links in the video notes below. And, of course, as always, there will be links. Uh, there's a link down there to the audio note. And there's all the things that we'll talk about today. Everything I'm going to show you on screen if you're watching the video or you hear about uh, listening to the audio will be in the audio notes for today's episode. All right. So what I want to show you guys now, though, is this comment. And this is a comment that I think a lot of people would just kind of gloss over. But I'm going to tell you a story after I give you the comment about why this is such a bellwether for a coming heavy recession. So Hayes Anderson, who is in live chat all the time uh, in these things, I see him there. He said, I'm currently working in the professional audiovisual industry and things are slow. Slow is in all caps. What's worse, we are hearing through the grapevine that companies are starting to cancel their corporate events for the rest of the year. The more senior workers are saying this is just like 2008 all over again. Um, it is like 2008 all over again, but it's 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 like it always is. This is this is something that literally, if you actually want to be able to look into the future for economic indicators, there should be a chart kept of corporate events being canceled. I mean, it is a proven time and time again thing that happens over and over again as we head into recessions. And the reason is simple. Companies, no matter what they say publicly, they look very closely at the economy because their survival depends on it. And they tend to be pretty good at getting ahead of things like this, cutting headcount, tightening up systems, reducing waste, et cetera. Because if you don't do it and this hits, kaplista, you're done. So this is one of the things that's an easy layup for companies to do. I don't have to fire anybody. I don't have to cut salaries. People actually, I mean, anybody out there that's in the live chat right now, if you've ever had a corporate event, you had to go to a party or something like that, but you really didn't want to go, but it was expected that you would go. And so you went, but you didn't want to go. And even if you had a good time, you would have preferred to do anything, something, anything else. Put me in the live chat, just the word me. Let's see how many me's come in. Because, I mean, I went to a lot of corporate events, Christmas parties and, and whatnot, that I didn't really care for. Uh, big rah-rah seminars, all kinds of stuff like that, right? And so, look, here they come now. Me, 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 me. They're coming in like crazy. Here it comes, right? A landslide of me comments on it. Me, me. It keeps going. Michael, Michelle, J.H., uh, Kubda, Jeffrey, me, like we all know this and don't think the companies that pretend that they're doing this for you don't know it too. Don't know it too. They know that this is really 
something they do for themselves so that they can pat themselves on the back. They know that most people don't really want to be there. Um, and so they know when they cut it, it's not really that big of a deal for people. Now, what people do like and usually get swept into this is like when they travel to go to trade shows and stuff like that. And that usually happens next. Stuff like that starts getting scaled back. Uh, sometimes in certain industries, like you have certain major seminars or major uh, trade shows or something, you kind of have to be at or it makes it look bad that you weren't there, but they reduce their delegation, they reduce their booth size, et cetera, and they start cutting. This has always been the case. And I'll, I'll give you an example from a, a real-world situation with a friend of mine. When I first moved to Texas, I was in my early 20s, had a very good friend named Brian. Brian was, out of, was like part of my core group, like that core group of friends when you have when you're a 20-something uh, before you've really built your life or whatever. Brian was like the oldest guy in the group. Brian was like his late 30s, and all of us were like 20s to early 30s. And so Brian had some more experience than us, and, and, and you know, I'd talked to anybody that had been successful. And not long after I met him, I found out he had had a very successful business in Houston before he moved up to Dallas. And I asked him what happened. He said, well, he had a business that was basically trophies and plaques and awards and stuff like that. And they had a great track record. They had worked for them. You know, the business had been around for like four years at this point. It had been profitable every year and every year had gotten better. But then we had a recession. And, he, and I said, so the recession took you out. And he said, no, the recession took my customers out. And my customers left me before the recession even hit. It was the same thing. They were the people that you went to for all your little award plaques and shit that you give out at these events that nobody really gives a shit about. I used to have a whole bunch of them for my sales career. I threw them all away. Number one salesman for Fluke Networks three years in a row. Three plaques. They're in the garbage somewhere. I don't give a shit about them. What do you think they paid for those things? Probably a couple hundred bucks. They were nice. A little metal in them and shit, right? Like like a metal you would wear around your neck. I threw them all away. I realized like once I left that world, I don't care anymore. This never really mattered to me. But the companies bailed on buying the stuff for the events and doing the events prior to the recession actually hitting. That's what happened. And this was back in the 90s that this had happened. Actually, it was back in the 80s that this happened to my friend Brian. Um because it was early 90s when we were having this discussion. So it had been about, I think, five years since he had put his business to, to death and moved up to Dallas and took a job working in his father's business. So this happens all the time. Now, I got another uh, YouTube comment. And again, I want you to understand, I'm not picking on this guy, but it's the exact kind of person that I was talking about when I did the Wall of Cant show uh, last week. I'm going to read this word salad comment. <laughs> he uses the word I an awful lot in this comment too, guys, right? I am guessing you're trying to motivate people by calling people who have been more financially successful as better. I know people in the excess money category who aren't full human beings in many different ways. I think you're categorizing success as financially related is very myopic. There are many ways to have success. 
I know that you don't normally declare things so black and white, so maybe your words were used to shock people, or perhaps you're so sick of seeing slackers that you've gone over this edge. Either way, I usually respect your views, and I'll continue to listen with an open mind. I do think lately you're getting a little bit big for your britches, you're usually more humble just noticing. Okay. The reason I read this, <laughs> there are a lot of eyes in there. I, I, I. Okay. And his, his handle is True Story923. I could pick this apart and I could eviscerate this. And all I would be doing is punching down on somebody who probably needs a break in life. So I'm not going to do that. I am going to point one thing out though. When people like this say, I know people, no, you don't. You don't know people like I was talking about in that episode. You don't know numerous multimillionaires who built what they have starting out very, very middle or lower middle class and did it with nothing. You don't know the people that I was referencing when I was talking about this. And this is how I know you don't know them. The only way you know them is you're one of them. They don't hang out with random people. The only way you know them is either you're one of them or they see something in you and they bring you into their group to try to help you, to mentor you, to connect you because they see you trying your ass off. That's the only way you know these people, because to know these people, you actually have to know them. And by knowing them, I mean you have them on your cell phone. You can pick the phone up and call them and they will answer the phone. You go to places and do things with them. Otherwise, you don't know shit. You say they're not fully human. You don't even know these people, and you're making an assessment that they're not fully human. So that one line alone just shows a complete lack of connection um, to the type of people that I'm even talking about. I also, during that episode, I was very clear, and I mean very clear, that I was talking about the fact that they were better than you at certain things. Not better than you, as, than you at being a human being, which is exactly how you took it, even though I said the exact opposite, because you had to take it that way, because you were defending your position, which is, I don't have what I have because other people are successful. I, I, don't, I don't have what I need because it's gritty rich people, or some version of that. And it was necessary for you to do that, because when I said it, it made you extremely uncomfortable which was that whole episode was about being uncomfortable and needing to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but you didn't want to do it, so you defended it. Now, the reason I put it on today's show, the shit I'm about to lay out for you is real. It is going to happen. And this mindset right here that we just talked about, this mindset guarantees that you will suffer more than you have to in what's coming. We will all suffer some. We will all suffer some. You will suffer more than you have to if you have this mindset. So if you see this mindset creeping into your life, you need to get rid of it. What was the whole point of that episode, for those of you who heard it or saw it, was that you will either be better as you a year from now or you won't be. And if you're, if you're not better than you are now, you will be worse. And you can measure it any way you want to. You can measure it with physicality, like how good a physical condition will you be in? Aging gets us all to a point, right? We all age. We all age. And so there is a certain amount of downhill that we go as we get older. But look at me now compared to 10 years ago. 
and moving from 40 to 50, guys, that's a significant milestone in aging. I think I look better right now because I have more gray because I decided to do something to make my body better. I chose to do it. So I became a better me. I think I'm a better podcaster. I work at my craft. I'm a better investor. I have more money. That was part, that was a big part of what we were talking about. And we were talking about it from a standpoint of becoming wealthy while everything falls apart. And that's the mindset that you need. I will be better. I will be better. I also said that you need to surround yourself with people who are better than you at something or some things. And hopefully you're better at some things than they are because we all rise and we all make each other rise together, right? The rising tide floating all boats. And if you hang out with people that think the way this person does, it will drag you down. It can't help but drag you down. You can't do this right now. Because like I said, what you're about to, I'm about to go through some stuff and I'm going to tell you, this is going to hit hard right now. This is on CBS. You can find many articles like this, but I want to point out again, this is something that happens over and over and over again, the same way. That's why you know that we're coming up to it. And that is these types of stories are printed by the mainstream media. So that later on they can say, we told you, we would, we weren't silent on it, but they are silent because you have to dig to find these stories in mainstream media. These are never above the fold. They'd rather talk about the orange man. They'd rather talk about a foreign war. They'd rather talk about anything than reality, but they still write the reality. Here's the headline from CBS News with car repossessions and home foreclosures rising. Some Americans are living on a financial cliff. Yeah. The whole damn thing's on a financial cliff that's bigger than it's ever been before, and that includes real estate. And you guys know I like real estate as an investment done right and done smart. So right now what these guys are talking about are people that lose jobs or their other expenses in life put them into a point where they can't afford their house anymore. And a lot of this is driven by government as well. Government's gone on a taxing spree in the last 10 years, especially local governments with property taxes. They've jacked up property taxes everywhere. They've done it somewhat, if there can be a way to legitimately raise a tax rate, somewhat legitimately in their book, in that the the value of these properties, which is what they're taxed on, is their own underlying value, has gone up a lot. That's part of the problem we have. So they're justifying these increases, but some people have literally been pushed out of the edge where they were just barely hanging on just by the tax increases on their property, along with their life expenses like food, right? Or having to buy a new car. And so people are stuck in their homes, yet they can still be blasted out by misery, right? So these people might have good interest rates because they bought a while ago, but the, the, the cost of the housing continues to go up, even though their mortgage payment is not an adjustable rate mortgage. But there's something, there's something that no one's talking about that's never happened before. That's adding to this real estate cliff in a way that is incredibly dangerous. And overall, the thing itself is good for consumers and homeowners, but it has now hit a dangerous inflection point. And that's that Airbnb effect. And like I said, Airbnb, Vibro, you name it, all of it. We have never had this before. There are people that own 30, 40, 50 properties no one lives in. 
they're all short-term rentals. They're all Airbnb products, every single one of them. There are places where almost all the housing is Airbnb. Back when COVID started, Dorothy and I were like, screw this. We're going to go somewhere where people aren't completely crazy. Turned out Oklahoma was a place people weren't completely crazy and uh, not man- mandates everywhere and things like that. So we rented an Airbnb and went to a place called Broken Bow. And whenever anybody says they go into Broken Bow, let me tell you, they almost never go to Broken Bow. Broken Bow is a, a town, and it's not that great of a town. All the cool shit is actually north of Broken Bow, the town. And so I don't remember the name of this place, but we went to this place, and that's where, like, all the gift shops and shit are, and access to the lake and the hiking trails and everything. And it was really cool. It was really cool. And so we go there, and we had it. I can't remember what the issue is. There's some issue that made it where I needed to talk to whoever was managing the property. And when I talked to him, he said, which one? I said, it's the cabin at this place. He said, oh, there's lots of cabins at this place, and I manage half of them. Oh, okay. So when we get up there, you know, we're walking around the neighborhood, not just hiking, because it was really beautiful out. It was a really nice place. It was cool Airbnbs being built. Um, they were all Airbnbs. This was like a major neighborhood size subdivision is what it looked like. But you could just look at the houses and go, these are not houses people tend to build to live in. And what I mean is, There were a lot of, let's say, two-bedroom homes that had more money in them than most four-bedroom homes because they were being built from the get-go as rentals. They were almost all brand new, and they were building more. Not a single person from that area that worked there could afford to buy and live in one of those homes. Nobody lived there. This is an entire subdivision of nothing but Airbnb, Vibro, short-term rentals. Every single house had a name, you know, the cottage in the sky or whatever they wanted to call it. It was all rental properties. That has taken place throughout the country. And this is what people think it's a good thing because as an investor, you can do very well. Most of the time, if you're smart as an investor, if you're doing short-term rentals, if you can rent the property, you know, an average of a week to a week and a half, Every single month, some months is more, maybe some are slow, but if you can do it, your property will pay for itself and everything you can do to keep that property full beyond that time is profit and you get all the benefits of real estate investing, which means you pay almost no taxes on your cash flow through depreciation expenses and other ways that we won't get into today. This is not a real estate seminar. There's a problem here. The inventory of Airbnb properties keeps going up. The demand has reached a point where in many places it's a knife edge. Demand and supply are very close, but they're in balance until anything happens and then the balance will go to shit. There's two things that will probably happen simultaneously. Once you start doing this successfully, banks will throw money at you. If you are a real estate investor and you're servicing all your debts and you want to buy another house, it's a rubber stamp from a bank. And every time you buy another property, your ability to buy the next one goes up. Okay? But all these properties are highly leveraged. People do not go out and buy Airbnb properties with cash. Most don't anyway. 
at the same time, as they drive the market up, they're driving the price of the property up to an unrealistic level. Again, there's places where no one that lives in these places actually lives there. They're all short term. And if that starts to unravel, it gets really ugly really fast. There's two ways that happens. One, you keep having more inventory come on, and they are doing it. A lot of people doing this, they make a lot of money, but they're not really sophisticated investors. They figure it out. It works. This property makes me $200 a month. I need another one that does the same thing. Oh, this one makes me $500 a month. I did an even better job. They start patting themselves on the back. They think they're really smart. They don't do what companies do. And what I mean by that is even if they run themselves as an S-Corp or an LOP or something like that, they don't really watch the economy and they don't adjust before the crashes come. So what happens when this country goes into a recession and shitloads of people who were renting these properties stop and we continue to have supply go up? Demand goes down and supply goes up. It's a race to the bottom at that point, and people start having to charge less and less to get people to rent their short-term rentals, except they've driven the property up so high, the cost of servicing the property is unrealistic, and that property cannot be sold at that point for what's owed on it. You can do it right now. You can make money on your Airbnbs cashing out right now, all right? You can, but there will be a point where you can't. And once that pin gets pulled on that grenade and that grenade starts going off, it's flashbangs everywhere. That's going to happen. You know, a lot of times I say, this might happen. Dude, this will happen. This is coming. This is coming. Does that mean you should get out of all your Airbnbs if you're an Airbnb investor? No, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know exactly what situation you're in. I will tell you there's parts of that market that will be largely unaffected. I have a good friend. He has to work out of town. He's gone every week almost from his house. He rents a different Airbnb every week. The company he works for doesn't care. It costs less to rent an Airbnb from a Monday through Friday than to stay in any decent hotel Monday through Friday is the way they look at it, so they don't give a shit. He's not in tourist areas. He's in a city in Texas. I won't say which one. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and where. And so that type of Airbnb rental is less affected because it's the business user that's renting it. It's the person that wants to live, you know, for two months in a city because their family's there or something. Those, there's still risk, but they're not so over leveraged with competing inventory. So, you know, look at the place you're holding these properties and see how many Airbnbs are around them and then start to think about this. And maybe, maybe reduction on some level makes sense. So that you're not fully leveraged and maybe taking some equity and putting it aside as a reserve makes sense. I don't know. But I will tell you that these places where you look and 50% or more of the neighborhood are Airbnb properties or Vibro properties, et cetera, these places are in for a world of hurt. The people that I think will do the best in this time are the ones that don't have a huge overhead to their Airbnbs. They have some sort of like they do small homes on the property that they own for their main house. Those people will have a lot more ability uh, to adjust because here's the problem. I, every time I talk about this, young people are like, it's great, man. I'll finally be able to buy a house. Not if you can't get financing. What good is it 
If a $400,000 house becomes a $200,000 repossession, it's totally jacked up because generally when houses go through this process, they're abused by tenants. And then you go to the bank and you try to get a loan and they say, sorry, kid, no. Or interest rates at that point end up being like 12%. You're like, that can't happen. Oh, I've told, I've, you know what? In the 70s and 80s, we had interest rates as high as 18% for a while. And the Fed is basically signaling right now, hey, guess what, guys? Guess what? We are committed to this rate-raising scheme. We'll get to that in a bit. Next up, uh, one of the best minds in investing in economics is a guy named Ray Dalio. Now, if you take that to be like some endorsement of him as a human being, that's not what I'm saying, right? He is what he is. But he's been... He's had a very good track record of his predictions becoming prophecies. And right now he has an article. It's in Time magazine called Why the World is on the Brink of Great Disorder. And like I said, this does channel a great deal, a great deal of kind of fourth turning mindset in it. It's totally worth reading this article. But basically what he's saying is. We're at a point right now that looks very similar to other points that we've been at in history. And we're at a point that looks very much like every single time they end up changing the money. And usually people, when they think when you change the money, you're going to get a recession. But sometimes actually everything goes up, even though it's not good for people. It looks good on paper. And he, he, if you read this article, he talks about back when he was a young man in 1971 and he was working in the financial industry and Nixon decoupled from the gold standard. And that's what I'm calling a rebasement, not just a debasement. And I'll explain that more in a second. And that kind of like changed this dude's worldview. And he went deep into learning more and understanding economics instead of being like the typical economist who's just like, oh, it's the way it works. It's great. You know, like, well, why? That's a question that our supposed experts, if they were experts, would ask a lot more. Why? You ever notice that right now when you ask, but why, or explain how pissed off authorities get? And when I say authorities, I mean anybody that fancies themselves an authority, including the person that says, I believe in science. They're not even a scientist, but you know, your opinion is subject to their authority because they have this thing. So you shouldn't be asking why you should just do what you're told. And when it turns out you were right, they're like, the science changed. But I thought the science was settled. That kind of mindset. That's our experts, not just in science. Throughout the entire apparatus of control, that's the mindset that we've got. You shut up and you listen to what we say and don't you dare question it. Don't do your own research. Literally put out articles to say it's dangerous to do your own research in a world where we have more ability to do research than we ever did before. They don't like that part of it. But the Fed just raised rates again. And this is really an important thing to look at. So as bad as things are, the Fed Reserve just met and raised interest rates. Now, what is this telling you? Again, what it's telling you is they, they are committed to this, right? This is They're committed to this causing a recession. The Federal Reserve has a stated goal right now. 
The market is too hot. Inflation is too hot. The country needs a recession. We need to cost, you know, 10 million Americans their jobs. That's what they're doing. And there's been this hopeful dialogue is what I consider it. This hopeful dialogue that, well, you know, if it gets bad enough, they'll have to pivot. Right. It's a Ross from Friends. Right. Pivot. They're going to pivot. And I've seen so many people that I generally think of as being pretty smart on the economy. Keep saying, well, they're going to have to pivot. They're going to have to pivot. They're going to have to pivot. They're going to have to like it's become a meme. It's the news cockatoos again. Pivot, pivot, ah, pivot. Right. Like everybody just keeps saying it. Why? Because it's this hope, this belief in magic that they can pivot and make the economy hot again. But what they're doing right now is they're failing to cool off the inflation while killing the economy at the same time. Prices going up, does you know, and stocks going up, right? And and housing values going up doesn't necessarily mean that the economy is healthy. Low unemployment in of itself does not mean the economy is healthy. Like, what do you mean by unemployment? How many people have just given up? And that comes out. But then, how many people are employed in multiple jobs? Because they're starving, right? Or they are miserable in their lives and they just can't figure out how to get by. How many people are taking jobs that they normally wouldn't take because they have to? None of that gets factored into this. And when you have a situation like we do right now, and every meeting the Fed is inching up interest rates, they've made a declaration, guys, right out in the public. We will keep doing this until it works. So when I tell you interest rates could be 12% on a house, if that's what it takes, no, they'll have to pivot before then. DeSantis will come in and fix it, or the orange man will be back. No. You notice that this stuff happens no matter who's president, no matter what party's in power. Everybody wants to play the blame game of tribalism to make a case for their side. But this is a, this is a constant thing. This goes on over and over throughout history. We have seen this happen over and over throughout history. And you're not going to see it stop happening. And we have set this up. When I say we, I mean modern society, not you and I, me, we. We are at a place right now that this is the only thing that can happen. There has to be a reckoning. But like I said, Financial crisis is always used to rebase or debase a currency. And let's talk about the difference in those two things right now. All right. 1933 was a currency debasement, not rebasement. And what I mean by that is we were on a gold standard, $20 equal an ounce of gold. And overnight, we rebased or actually debased the gold back currency from 20 to 1 to 33 to 1. And it pretty much stayed that way with some other things like the Silver Coinage Act, et cetera, 1964. Um, but it pretty much stayed artificially pegged gold back dollar up until 1971. 1971 was a debasement, but it was also a rebasement. And what I mean by rebasement is the currency was no longer based on the thing that it had been based on up to that point. Gold went away, and it was, and people always say fiat, fiat. Well, fiat is a non, it's not a specific enough 
definition to actually convey the system that we have. Almost any government currency, whether it's gold back or not, is still a fiat because it is by fiat that the government has said, this is how our money works. So we had a fiat currency after 1933, definitely. We really did before that. But, I mean, we definitely did because they changed the ratio and took the gold out of circulation and said, trust us. That's fiat. But it was a gold-pegged system by fiat of the state. In 1971, we went to a fiat system, government making a decree, this is what money is, backed by debt. It's not a pure fiat system. A pure fiat system would just be the government prints a certain amount of money, puts it in circulation, declares it has value. Every dollar that is born in our system is born into debt with interest due back. That's what we're at. We are a fiat system, yes, but we are really a debt-backed system. So we move from the system being backed by a commodity in gold to, a, to the system being backed by a promise of a lender to make repayment. I mean, a borrower to make repayment. People think it's by a full faith and credit of the United States. The government's not the one that promises to pay back all of this money by taxing you in the future and paying it back. That's part of it. Most of the monetary creation is ended up repaid by individuals. When you go buy a house and you take a mortgage, that's new money. Most people don't know that, but it is. When, when you go borrow $400,000 to buy a house, let's say you put $50,000 down, it's a $450,000 house, and the bank cuts you a check for four hundred grand. That $400,000, the day before you signed that piece of paper, it didn't exist. And so that $400,000 was created by you collateralizing the property and collateralizing your own credit and your promise to repay the loan plus interest. And that's, that is how this whole thing works. And that all happened in 1971 to the extreme that it is now. This system, therefore, is more than 50 years old. It's a harebrained, idiotic system that allows your government to ask the bank to print more money whenever it wants it, and some bitch get it. It's a giant global Ponzi scheme. It is not just America that does this. Every central bank in the developed world, and even many of the undeveloped world, are doing things the exact same way, and they're all playing grab-ass with each other, buying each other's debt, and moving each other's debt around. And this system has come to a point where it's about to blow up. And it's being it's going to be exasperated when it does and made worse than it's necessary, because the entire goal here is a new monetary system. If you don't understand that the goal is a new monetary system, a new a rebasement, right, not just a debasement, but a rebasement of what currency is based on, then you can't possibly understand why they would do the things the way they're doing them. Because a lot of what they're doing looks so stupid on its face. You're like, what are these people doing? Now, don't, never, never discount the stupidity of bureaucrats and elected officials. Never doubt. I, I, I'm not defending these people as not being stupid. I, they are very stupid. But the people that are actually pulling the levers... The ones that tell your Congress clown, this is how you're going to vote on these things. The ones that actually write, my bill does this and my bill does that. They don't have a bill. 
They didn't write that bill. The people that clerked for them didn't write the bill. I happen to have a nephew who clerked for Senator Ben Sass. At, uh, or it, what do you call it? The page, Senate page. It was a page. Like, did you ever see anybody write a bill or do research for a bill for the Senate? No, they would bring us shit and tell us to find out about it. Okay? It didn't surprise me at all. It didn't surprise me one bit. Because you know who writes these bills. The companies that are going to be regulated, want to be regulated, they write the bills. They give it to their lobbyists. The lobbyist takes it and gives it to the senator who puts his name on it. That's how the system works. And so those people aren't stupid. They're scum, but they're not stupid. They want control of the monetary system at a level that's never existed before. They want to be able to disintegrate money to create contraction of the monetary system whenever they want to do it with a button. They want complete and total control of the money of the world. And the only way you get that done in this modern world is through what we've been calling a central bank digital currency. And there's more than one way that can be rolled out. Like I said, it could be just as black and white as everybody says, and this here's the new money. But it also could be through stable coins issued under FDIC from member banks. Their goal is to get rid of as many of the small banks as they possibly can and eat them up. I've been telling you that for a long time. And they're working on it. And the first people that will go down will be these smaller banks. And they've already shown you. What do they do? What do they do when these small banks go into crisis? Do they bail them out? No. They give a bigger bank money and say, now you take it over. That's what they do. Instead of saying, okay, you you, you screwed it up. Let all the big banks fight over it. They call it a bailout, but it's really a bail-in. And the, the bigger bank, you wonder why they would even want something so toxic. They want you. You're the product of the bank, the depositor. And so they are on a mission. They are on a mission to consolidate these banks. Right? They're on a mission to consolidate these banks. That's their goal, because then they don't have to have something that on the surface is obviously a CBDC. And you, and you could make things voluntary until they become de facto, right? De facto. So here's what I mean by that. I remember when the first ATMs came out and the first bank cards came out. I was a teenager. I remember going and opening a bank account, and they gave me this card. I could get my money out. And, you know, remember the term tap an ATM, tap an ATM, tap an ATM? That's what everybody did. You had your money in a bank. You could go out and spend some money. You went to the ATM, you stuck your card in, gave you your balance, told you how much you had, and charged you a fee, and it spit cash out. And, and I would tell you that when that happened, there were people that said this is going to lead to almost a completely digitized cash market. So all the money will be digital. And it looks stupid. It looks stupid because people were actually spending more cash when the first ATMs came out. Again, many of you are too young to remember when this happened. But what I mean by that is what people did up till then is they tended to write checks. They tended to write checks. You would go to the store and you would write a check. I'm, I'm not saying that people don't do it today, and I'm not saying that everybody quit doing it. But what happened was a lot of people all of a sudden had access to cash at a location all over town. And so people actually started using more cash at first. Then 
went in the military, got out of the military, moved here, open a bank account, right? You move to a new place, you open a bank account. You get a paycheck, you need some place to take it. My old bank was a small regional bank in Pennsylvania. It worked while I was in the Army, but it really didn't work for me when I got out, and I moved to Texas. So you go open a bank account. Son of a gun, you can get a card that says Visa or MasterCard on it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't do credit cards. And a nice lady at the bank said, Mr. Spirical, let me explain how this works to you. It's like an ATM card, except instead of going to the ATM, when you go to the store, you can pay with Visa, but it's like taking it out of an ATM. Now, I was like 21 years old. You know what I said? Sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. Wonderful. Now, how many of you honestly almost never pay cash at a retail establishment? Put me in there. I'm sure some of you are very proud that you pay cash all the time. That's okay. I don't need to hear from you right now. All I'm telling you is the vast majority of business in the country today is cashless and it's paperless. And it is that way because of debit cards. That's why. Credit-based debit cards, right? Almost nobody. And how many of you almost never go to an ATM anymore? Like there's times where you need cash for something. But other than the times you have to. Why would I go to the ATM, get the money out, and then pay this guy when I could just pay this guy by giving him my card? So we have moved to an almost cashless society. It's not cashless. There's still a lot of cash out there. The number one, for all the talk about crypto and Bitcoin for money laundering, the number one form of currency used for organized crime throughout the world is the U.S. $100 bill. And the number two one is the U.S. $20 bill. Don't give me your bullshit about that, right? So, but, but by and large, the vast majority of people in a completely voluntary system have chosen to use electronic money because it's more convenient. That's it. That's why they do it. They do it because it's convenient and they've become comfortable with it. So you can create a, a central bank digital currency system that doesn't look like one. And you can get people onboarded. You might even get people willing to scan their eyeball to get some free money because that's happening right now, though we won't talk about it deeply today. But look up WorldCoin and the Orb. And people are willingly having their eyeball scanned. But don't worry, they don't save it. Sure, they don't. All right. And you get some free money just for letting them scan your eyeball and create a world identification for you. People are lining up to do it. So don't think they can't float this thing under the, under the system. And you'll be like, stable coins, that's crypto. You know how many people don't want crypto? Yeah, but when their bank says they can have it. Well, why would I want it? Well, what they'll do is they'll say it'll be less fees. You know, every time you, 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 you move money around in your bank, you end up, there's fees you're paying. You don't know you're paying it, but you are. Because if you buy something from me and use a credit card, I have to pay a fee. Do you not think... Do you not think that I factor that into my pricing metrics? Do you not think that as a, as a business owner, when I'm figuring out how much do I need to charge for a product, that I factor in the money that I'm going to give to Stripe or Stripe or whoever, I'm sorry, Stripe or, or PayPal or whoever I have my merchant account with? You don't think I'm going to factor that in? Of course I do. So it will lower fees. Transactions will be instant. Transactions will be instant. It'll be great. And it's still covered by FDIC. That's one. That's one. That's how I think they're going to do it. But I don't know that. I don't know that. But I think they're going to do it that way. And I think that lets them spread the United States dollar more throughout the world and somewhat 
diffuse inflation for a time by spreading the money out. Because if I'm a person in a lot of other countries and all of a sudden I can hold insured dollars without a bank account, because that's what you're talking about. How do you know that that monetary unit is secured? Because since it's issued by a bank, it traces back to the bank and the bank has it insured under FDIC. That's how. Will it work? Probably not. But people believe it. Right now, if you had major bank failures, there's not enough money in FDIC insurance fund to cover it all. There isn't. If a bank blows up, yeah, sure. But like if you had major banks go into crisis, multiple, all at the same time, there's nowhere near enough. The only way, the only way that you get the money at that point is by the government doing what it's done before, printing more and stuffing it into the banks claiming they're lending it to them when they're letting them loan it right back to the government for a skim fee. That's the only way that you do that. And it's what they'll, they'll do it if they have to. But I think this is, this is it guys. When this comes apart and it could be next month, it could be two years from now. I, I'm not going to try to predict the timeline in something this complicated. I don't think it's next month. And I'll be surprised if we go two years without a major reckoning. But, you know, we'll see. Again, be patient. You could see in 2006 that the 08 crisis was coming, and it looked imminent. But two years felt like a long time. Again, if you haven't watched The Big Short, I I really suggest that you write The Big Short. Uh, Watch The Big Short. Now, on top of all this mess, we have unions ruining everything again. And I'm going to go ahead and play this piece from Fox Business. It'll probably get me demonetized by YouTube, but I, I definitely think it's uh, it's better that I play it than try to explain it to you, and it'll give my voice a little bit of a rest. Let me get this up for you. So this is on Fox Business, and it's about a trucking company called Yellow, and what it's going to result in is a whole lot of truck drivers without jobs and a whole lot of trucks not on the road unless some sort of settlement's reached, and it doesn't sound like it's going to be, so here we go. And let's take a look at shares of trucking, trucking company Yellow. Uh, the stock right now is down, as you can see, about well, almost 15 percent, 69 cents. Uh, they are locked in a contentious battle with labor union Teamsters. Yellow has brought a $137 million lawsuit against the union. They say it will go out of business if the two cannot come to an agreement on proposed changes to Yellow's operations. Uh, joining me now live in studio, Yellow's lawyer, Mark Kathowitz, and of course, our very own Charlie Gasparino, who has been covering this right all over it. i want to get right to it mark if there is no deal with the teamsters and they have to agree to some minor concessions we'll get into that in a minute yellow will be done i mean liquidated by the end of july correct well i don't know if it's by the end of july but if they're if the teamsters don't come to the table in a meaningful way um to make a fair and reasonable deal if they remain in breach of their contractual obligations right. under their um, under their uh, bargaining agreement uh, then yellow will uh, go out of business That's and it's true. really soon very soon so this summer probably well it could be it could be this summer uh, may not be as early as July right. but uh, but uh, the, the the danger is imminent and the union and the union and Sean O'Brien uh, the That's general president of the, yeah. of the union are well aware of this 
Yellow's made. Why don't they? Do they want 30,000 people to be out of work? I mean, because there's no there's no restructuring here. The way this works, particularly in a trucking company, you you can't declare Chapter 11. No one will deal with you. You, you might as well just liquidate. Do they really want 30,000 people out of work? Look, we didn't think so, um, uh, Charlie. We really didn't think so. And we have been working the the company and its uh, and its lawyers and its representatives have been working really, really hard to try to get the, the union, the Teamsters uh, to the table. And frankly, and this is as, as shocking as it sounds, but it's all set forth in our complaint. It's a 60 page complaint. It's very detailed. Right. And as shocking as it sounds, uh, Mr. O'Brien uh, looks like he doesn't care about the 22,000 union jobs, Teamster jobs right. that he has at Yellow because he has rebuffed Yellow at every turn. And let's be real clear. You're not saying that you want pay cuts. You're not even saying you want job cuts. You want some efficiencies, like mainly some truckers pulling stuff off the assembly line or off the line and and packing their own truck. Well, that's uh, that's exactly right. The the change of what Yellow is trying to do and what it's been trying to do for some time is to modernize. It has right. or else they're going to go out of business obviously. or else they're going to go out of business. And what's been happening in this business and it's been a trend uh, 20 years ago, there were nine uh, union shops and they controlled over nine union LTL, less than full right. truckload uh, shippers, and they controlled over 60 percent of the business, 70 percent right. of the business. Now there are three and they only control 20 percent of the business. And the reason is that they're competing with non-union shops that don't have the same cost structure. Mm -hmm. So what Yellow has been trying to do has been to modernize, to create efficiencies and the like. And they we succeeded. Yellow and the union agreed that we could do the first phase right. of this model. All right, guys, I'm going to I'm going to call it there. But people were making a comment that um, Yellow's had financial problems for a long time. No one's saying otherwise. It's right in the uh, sub headline uh, on the page where this video I'm playing is from. The company has been plagued by financial struggles for more than a decade. They absolutely have. They absolutely have. But you see what the big fight is about? God forbid a guy that drives a truck for a living use a pallet jack once in a while. They want to pull in, they want their truck loaded while they sit there, and then they want to drive away. And they don't want to participate at any level. That's the claim anyway. It seems to me, though, that the union in this case that's involved is, is making sure, 100% making sure, that this company is going to go out of business. They're going to, you know, you, some would say, well, you're putting them out of their misery or whatever. But hold on a second here. You're talking, and, and, and some people are saying they haven't seen a lot of yellow trucks on the road in a long time. Well, they're, they're somewhere. You got 30,000 drivers. 30,000 drivers. What, what, what happens to supply logistics if you, if you immediately cut 30,000 truckers out of the workforce? Is there anybody out there that can quickly pick up the, the the freight that can't roll now, right? Al says, I use a pallet jack, and he makes 140000 a year as a trucker. Good for you. These guys don't want to touch any of their own freight. And this is how unions work. Unions define 
specifically, this is this person's job and this is this person's job. We got to protect their job so this person can't ever be doing this person's job. This is let this for this union. I'm going to tell you right now. This is less about defending truckers, and it's more. It's more about saving the job of the person that's loading the truck right now. And Troy says, trucker here, we don't get paid unless the wheels are turning. Would you touch a pallet jack for free? If my job depended on it, I'd do whatever my job depended on. And there's a lot of truckers that do exactly that. And you can hold your breath on this. And what's going to happen is whatever job you have, eventually you're going to lose it. You're either going to pick the pallet jack up or you're going to go do a different job because this is going to happen everywhere. This is going to happen everywhere. And this is the mindset that unions create. But I have my thing. I'll say, I don't get paid if I, okay, well, while you're sitting there, then you're not getting paid. Then you're not getting paid. And this kind of stuff is going to be a, this is going to be a cascading thing because the entire point here, the entire point here is that this is part of a planned deconstruction of our economy. Al says trucking is going hourly. It probably will. That's probably part of it. But they don't want, they don't want our economy to recover right now. Right? Their, their plan is a recession. They're literally, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to crash the economy in a belief that we can do all these things to crash the economy and we can control the dissent like a godlike narcissism that these people have. The other thing is, what do they not want, right? They don't want a, a bustling building industrial economy because of global warming. We have to cut carbon. Do you think these people will weep for 30,000 diesel trucks not on the road, right? Do you think they will? They won't. They'll say it's great. We're going to replace all the semis with electric trucks. That's going to work out really well. Do you know how much energy it takes to move cargo across the country with an electric truck up and down and over hills? Do you understand that if you're going to, you can build an electric semi. All right. You can do that. They do work. You can build a lot of range into them even. Over time, you can even build the, in, the infrastructure to refuel them with electric, electrical power. But do you know what you have to do to a truck like this to make it work? You have to make it heavier. You know those batteries? Suckers weigh a lot. And when you start talking about the amount of mass that you can move with an electric, with a semi, it's a lot of mass. Now, Anybody, I got a bunch of truckers mad at me because they don't want to touch a pallet jack. Tough shit. This, this is the real world here. Not your little fantasy your union created in your mind. Okay? But they'll all tell you what I'm about to say next is true. And that is that trucks have weight limits. You see the little weight? You see when you're on a highway sometime going across the country, you see a weight station? That's exact, it is exactly what it sounds like. These trucks are required to stop and they're weighed. And they say, you're overweight, you get a fine. You might even get, I don't know, they might freaking 
make you quit and have another truck come. And there's a lot of reasons for this. One is safety, direct safety, but another is wear and tear on our highways. So you either have to increase the weight limit of the total gross weight of the vehicle, or you have to put more, not less, trucks on the road to make to make electric long-haul trucking work. That's what you have to do. They don't care. There's a lot of money to be made on this shit, and they want to make the money, and there's a lot of suffering to come because of it, and they want you to suffer. I'm sorry that that sounds like conspiracy talk, but, you know, we're about to trans transfer over to what, you know, conspiracy theorists are supposed to believe, and I think it's bullshit here with aliens in a second. So, um... Troy says they put you out of service until the weight is corrected. So literally, if you overweigh, correct me if I'm wrong, Troy, they have to send, somebody has to send a truck with capacity, the company or one of your friends or something has to come and download some of the cargo onto this other vehicle and then it's allowed to go again. Now, that's, that's reality. That's reality. And then uh, Al says maybe they'll do one driver with five trucks, hydro model. Like, well, they call them, uh, I think they call them land trains or road trains in, in Australia. When they go through the outback, they're so little shit and it's so expensive. They, they have these trucks pulling like multiples, you know, three or four trailers with one truck pulling it. How are you going to do that with electricity, though? And you're still talking about more weight and more wear and tear on the roads. The roads that are right now falling apart that we do not have the money to fix. Their plan on some levels is the deindustrialization of the West. I mean, they already did a lot of it over the last 50 years, didn't they? Didn't they? Don't you guys that are, again, younger, you may not remember this. We used to make a lot of shit here in America. Manufacturing was a core business. And manufacturing things and raw materials. That was a big part of deindustrializing the country was to get that manufacturing overseas into other nations so they could share the wealth and hold us hostage. Hold us hostage, right? Like, you know, China right now can literally just say no penicillin for you. We can't even make the amount of antibiotics that are required in our medical system without China right now. They make most of our stuff. And if it's not them, it's other nations that they've exported us. Dodo Bird says, why can't they just leave us alone? Because it's not good for them to leave us alone. See, you have to understand that the, the mindset, the mindset these people have is that they are really smarter than you. And that you are dangerous and you can't be left to yourself and you need to be controlled by them. That's how these people think. That's how these people think. Now, that's what I want to go to this next thing. Unless you've been under a rock or something, all of a sudden aliens are real. UFOs are real. We have a space force that actually has there's there's even shit that we have our own spacecraft and we have off world captains flying around in them right now. Um, there's all kinds of shit that's going on. They're having hearings uh, on the on the floors of Congress about this. And the narrative is not only do we know they exist, we've actually recovered them because they've wrecked. And non-human biologics have been on them. 
that, you know, what would be a biologic that's not human? A, a living blade of grass, a rat, a microbe. That would all be non-human biologics. Man, sometimes people walk a little line in what they're saying. Like, we could have sent an, a mouse to space and it crashed, and we could say it was otherworldly craft with a non, non-human biologic on it, right? But here's, here's, here's the deal. First, I'm just going to talk about the, the reality that we're trying to convey. We have civilizations so advanced that they must somehow be interdimensionally folding space. We know that light speed travel is woefully too slow for interstellar travel. We know this. And we know that mass becomes infinite at the speed of light. So we have to have some form of wormhole generation, folding of space, some idea out of science fiction that some civilization is so technically advanced they've mastered it. So they're going to come all the way to Earth, can't handle the job of a 747 pilot and not crash. They're extremely advanced interdimensional spaceship from crashing on Earth. And they have no plan of redundancy to make sure the technology doesn't fall into the hands of these monkeys on this planet that are always blowing shit up. That's that's what you're saying when you say, you know, Roswell was real and we learned how to do all this stuff because we took the alien technology and whatever. Now, you can believe it, and that's fine. That's fine. But understand that's what you're saying. You're saying a, 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 a civilization so advanced that it can come here from hundreds or thousands of light years away can't handle Earth's atmosphere. And the claims are that it's happened many times. Steinle says stupid aliens, they were texting and flying, right? Like, But that's what you're saying. But what you're also saying right now is now all this stuff's being coming out and being talked about in the open, right? We've got all these Congress clowns conducting these very serious hearings. If they believe their own bullshit, if they believed that there were magic aliens from beyond the moon who were coming to Earth and that we had it, these people would be freaking out. They wouldn't be calmly interviewing. This is all theater. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Mortimer says the Van Allen radiation belt would kill any biologics. I smell uh we never went to the moon person here, right? Because the, the the aliens who can travel interdimensionally can't handle the Van Allen radiation belt, right? They can't fly in Earth's atmosphere without crashing their shit, always in a desert or some shit, by the way. Right? If you look, yeah, there's the word I'm looking for. I'm waiting for somebody to to say it. Sterling Payton says, distraction. It's exactly what it is. It's a distraction. It's to get you to look at something else while they're doing all this nonsense. And it is very well coordinated. Look at how they did it. They put it through, of all people, the person they despise the most was where this really started. I'm talking about, of course, the $50 million man, Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson was where this all started to get a sense of legitimacy. Now, for Fox firing him and all the shit that they talk and the left talks, you don't just put anything you want on a news show because you're a news host. 
every single thing that Tucker Carlson ran when he was at Fox News was looked over by many self-important executives who signed off with a check mark and said, yeah, you can do that. Those people are under Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch is part of the giant cabal, and they all knew what they were doing when they did it. They laid this stuff down, and then all of a sudden, it's being taken seriously by CNN. All of a sudden, it's such a serious matter that we're going to have congressional hearings about it. If you don't think this is the pretty lady dancing around and jiggling her things while the magician makes his exit and appears up at the top of the stage, how do you do it? Well, it was planned. You know? Well, I didn't see anything. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to be looking at the pretty lady. Right? This person says, Hunter BS is a distraction to nothing new being covered on the crackhead, just bringing it to the mainstream media. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you I think there's something to the Hunter thing. I don't think you're going to find out that the aliens are real and we have their technology. Okay? I don't think you're going to find that out. I do think there is a high probability this Hunter thing explodes and it gets shit all over Brandon. For those that have been under a rock too, Brandon is, you know, a, a nickname for President Biden. Right. And I think this will be used to get rid of him. Whether it is, well, we're not going to go along with an impeachment, but you need to announce that you're not running for reelection or something like that. And maybe he pulls a Nixon and he pardons his son on his way out of the gate, right? Because he can get away with doing that for sure. Uh, that could happen. And then maybe it's a setup to whoever takes over, right? Just like Nixon pardons him. Remember Ford. But you got to get rid of cackles, right? You got to get rid of Kamala in this too. So I don't know how they do it, but I, I think this might be their entire way of doing things. Because what they'll say is that Cackles is not a strong enough candidate. They need to bring in a new candidate, i.e. Gavin Newsom. And if Gavin, as the presidential nominee, well, he gets to choose his VP. The party doesn't select a VP. That's stupid. That's exactly what happens. But who is the illusion created under? Gavin. So I think that's this might be, and I talked about this last week, how you get rid of Biden, extract yourself from the Ukraine conflict on some level, unless the plan is global war, which I don't know if it is or it isn't. I kind of hope that it isn't. Mortimer says promise her to the Supreme Court. They're not going to put her on a Supreme Court. She, she can't be a Supreme Court justice. That uh, Kinty Jackson looks like a freaking chess savant compared to Kamala Harris. Kamala, if, if we get Kamala Harris as a Supreme Court justice, then we have, we have made idiocracy look like a nirvana. I'll just say it, we have completely gone idiocracy if we end up with Kamala as a Supreme Court justice. She's, she's woefully unqualified. She's a complete moron. So they have to find some way to get rid of her. But like I said, if they install a new presidential candidate, then you're able to kind of offload Harris because Harris's entire purpose was to make Biden unimpeachable. Because don't think that the party didn't know what they were getting. Don't think that anybody is surprised to find out about all of the shit 
going on in Ukraine or China. Don't think that they did. There's plenty of commentators that basically admitted, I believe everything. I don't care. I just didn't want Trump. Right. So no one who's Gavin's VP, somebody's asking. I don't know. Scoot says Big Mike, meaning Michelle Obama. I don't think Michelle Obama comes into this. I could be wrong about that, but I, I don't think so. I think the Obamas have a different purpose in life now than they did when Barack was president. And I don't think she's qualified in any way to be in office either. Like They try to create the facade of qualification. Why do you think Hillary immediately ran for a guaranteed Senate seat that was handed to her in New York State as soon as Bill was out of office, do you think it was uh, it was all organic and she just really wanted to be a senator, right? No, she wanted to be president. She knew she had to have something to claim that she had uh, a background and an experience to be uh, president of the United States. And then she got the concession prize from Barack, you know, and then she uh, screwed everything up and she still almost became president. It was very close. I, I don't think it'll be Big Mike, guys. Uh, let's answer a few questions. Here. I just have a few. Um, Cynthia says, can we talk about preparing for retirement accounts? I got out of debt done by land working on it. I have 30 years and everyone says, hold on tight, better plans. Well, I, I can't talk about what you should do for your retirement plan. I'll just tell you that the money you think you need, you need more. And I think that it's going to be very common. I'm not going to be Susie Orman here. Yes, just the new normal. You're going to be working till you're 75. I, but I do think we're going to have to start taking more of a semi-retired approach for a lot of people, unless you've really been a good squirrel and put away a lot of nuts, that you need to be looking at some sort of income stream beyond just a straight retirement income stream. That's that's about all I can say. This this show is not a retirement planning show, but maybe we need to do one of those in the future. That's something I need to dedicate a lot more time than I can in a, a quick Q&A like this. Jay Smith said, question, will this affect Bitcoin and held, held inside an IRA? Steve, able to withdraw to the bank. I'm 56 plus and have three years until I can siphon a little off. Um, I'm going to talk about Bitcoin and IRAs tomorrow. I wouldn't shit to bet over this. I think it's good that you own some Bitcoin. But I'm going to talk about Bitcoin IRAs, Bitcoin ETFs, et cetera, tomorrow, why I am pro a Bitcoin ETF, but why I am not pro putting Bitcoin in an IRA unless the money is already in the IRA and held captive. And I'll talk about that tomorrow. But I wouldn't bail early on your IRA because it has Bitcoin in it. I, I wouldn't do that uh, at all. At all. Now, if it is a Roth IRA, I will remind you that you can always withdraw from a Roth IRA up to the amount that you've contributed in U.S. dollar value. Which means if you had, let's say you had a whole Bitcoin in there, but your cost basis in that Bitcoin was $40,000. And right now Bitcoin's $30,000. You could withdraw the whole Bitcoin. Because it's based on dollar value. That's my understanding anyway. But I would, I'll talk more about that. This was a comment here that I thought was interesting. Builder of Ca Castle said, Bankman has been freed. He's talking about Sam Bankman freed, uh, the guy that robbed people of billions of dollars. Uh, investors lost everything in his shitty cryptocurrency exchange that I told you to stay off of, by the way. And 
he was arrested and they were going to bring all these charges and throw the book at him. And he was proof that crypto is terrible and it's a scam and it's awful. But turns out he gave billions of dollars to various people in the Democrat Party to help them get elected in the midterm elections. And son of a bitch, very quietly, without a lot of fanfare, all the charges against Mr. Bankman-Fried were dropped. They were just dropped. He's eating his cucumbers. He's plenty happy, and nothing is going to happen to him because he's in the clique. He's in the club that you're not in. And then Dennis Allen is asking me a question here. What is your opinion of Kennedy, meaning Robert F. Kennedy? Well, as many of you know, I have strongly, strongly asked my audience for a couple of years now to read Robert Kennedy's book, the real Anthony Fauci. I think the work that he's done in the space of vaccines and the space of pharmaceuticals is outstanding. I think he's one of the most honest people in the world about that. I also will give him almost single-handedly credit for cleaning up a lot of the waterways in the northeastern United States of mercury and sulfur by suing the coal companies into damn near oblivion. So I think there's some things that I really agree with RFK on. But I will also tell you, he's a, he's a shit liberal. He's a shit lib. There is not a plan to grow government that he wouldn't get on board with. He's, he's kind of changed his tune on how he feels about gun control. But his, his gun control argument is, well, it's not going to matter because we're not going to do it. It's not, hey, if you don't put it on my desk, I won't sign it. I don't think there's a gun control bill that Congress could send the guy that he wouldn't sign. I don't think there is a tax and spend program that he wouldn't endorse. He does. He's one of these people. He does a really great job of pointing out government caused all these problems. Well, what's your solution? More government. Which is, to be fair, it's most politicians answer, isn't it? Here's everything wrong with government. Everything wrong with government. My solution to it, more government. Here's everything government screwed up. My solution to it. More government. I'm going to tell you what I think RFK is. RFK is a backdoor guarantee. At least I think it's what the plan is. Where the worst or not, we'll see. I think it's a backdoor guarantee you get a Democrat back in the White House. Now I'm going to tell you how that works out. There's not going to be an open Democrat primary. And even if there is, RFK has no hope of being the Democrat nominee. If they played fair, no hope. Just look at the polls. Democrats hate him. Democrats love vaccines. All the vaccines. Democrats think that anybody that's opposed to vaccines is a conspiracy theorist. This guy's got a 20-year track record of being opposed to vaccines. So right there, he's out as a Democrat nominee. You know who likes RFK? Moderate Republicans. Libertarian Republicans. That's who likes RFK. Republicans. Republicans like RFK because they look at one area, the place he's most vocal as a candidate. They don't look at everything else. What's this guy's plan for taxation for the country? They don't look at that. So they will vote for him. How much do you need to pull with a third-party candidacy to make sure that the Democrats win? And the answer is not a lot. Not a lot. So I think the plan is... He's going to he knows he's not going to get the nomination. 
he's probably going to announce as a third-party candidate and say he was screwed by the Democrat Party. He wants to give Democrats a real choice. And it'll look like it should be a split of Democrat voters, but it won't be. Go find me. See, this is, Scoot's got to exact, you're saying exactly what I'm saying. You're, you're proving me right. People will think it's a split of the Democrat vote, but it's not. Go find me your average Democrat voter that thinks highly of Robert F. Kennedy. They hate the guy. Again, it's, it's, it's moderate voters. It's middle of the road voters. It's libertarian minded voters. If you just poll the stance on the COVID vaccine, pro or anti, Republicans blow away Democrats for being anti. And that's when somebody says vaccine today, it's the only thing that they're focused on. Like, so all the other ones don't exist. But you call a person, their kids have had polio and measles and all this stuff, and they just say, no, this thing is too new. I'm not comfortable with it. You're anti-vax. And the guy's got all the other, like, this is how they think. It's so polarized. The guy has no chance of winning, and he has no chance of being the Democrat nominee. And for every Democrat that he pulls as a third-party candidate, he'll pull three to four Republicans. Maybe, just maybe, that's the plan all along. And Eka Mouse is here. Where you been, Eek? I haven't seen you much lately. I'm glad to see you. I was worried. Um, she says 102 likes, 270 watching. Smash that like button. Let other TSPers know they are missing out on another informative session with Jack. All right, I agree. You guys need to get on that. And I'm going to put up my famous Eka Mouse banner real quick here for you. But I'm glad you're here today. I uh, American Legend says of our case, a very mixed bag. I like him at first, but the more I get to know about him, I don't care for him. His wife is awful, too. I really don't know anything about his wife. This is what I'll say. If you made me president, I really don't want the job. And I'm even thinking about running for president as a discussion topic or something. Right? Like I was going to do in 2020 and decided not to with the don't vote for me campaign. But if you made me president, I would definitely give RFK a job in my administration. I would definitely do it. I have a lot of things I would love that guy to do, but you will not fix regulatory capture, which he's really good at pointing out by making the agency that's, that's inflicted with it bigger and stronger. You have to massively downsize things. And I would put RFK in charge of the environment as an, and an advisor into the pharmaceutical world. I would put him on both of those, but I would also tell him, you don't know, we, we're not worried about the air people exhale, dude. Like, here, I would give them a list. Here's 50 things that we can do to reduce environmental impact in a positive way. And not one of them would say a word about CO2. And I said, when you get that list done, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll see if it matters at that point. If I ain't been you know, popped with a bullet by the CIA or something by then, we could talk about it then. I wouldn't let the guy near the economy. I wouldn't let the guy near the tax system. No way. And I wouldn't let him anywhere near foreign policy either. Even though I agree with a lot of his mindset toward foreign policy, I think he would be a disaster overall. Um, his strong suit is identifying the problems in a pharmaceutical industrial complex and environmental restoration. And there's so uh, guys often think that I am not an environmentalist because I don't buy into the global warming crap. Right. The climate change narrative, the climate weirding. Now, by the way, it's global boiling now. They just and all the, all the parents are like global boiling, global boiling. Like, like that's where they're at. Right. 
Um, I am a huge environmentalist. How about we stop putting so much mercury in our ocean? How about we stop the erosion of time? There's so many things that we could be doing to fix this shit, which is why I'm telling you they don't want to do it. Gang Gang says, well, he recently said the government needs to be downsized, didn't he? Yeah, but go ahead and do it then. I don't believe you'll do it. You know what you know what you call a politician talking? A liar. And I don't care if it's an outsider, right? It's still a liar. They all say whatever they think you want to hear. They all say I think one of the most interesting things I ever did, and this is before I had the podcast, by the way. I ran as a candidate for the Texas House of Representatives, the Texas State House. And I didn't take a real hard run at it. I ran as a libertarian because I was asked to by the Libertarian Party, which I was actually involved with back then. This is back, I think it was 06. Might have been 05. I don't remember exactly. And just the experience of being a candidate, filling out financial disclosures. Actually, I got fined by the Texas Board of Electors uh, or Texas Board of Campaign Board or something for some bullshit that wasn't even real. Um, it was, it was based on not reporting campaign fundraising because there was no campaign fundraising. I did not do any fundraising. There was nothing to report. They fined me $500 for it. Oh, that guy, Jim Gale, I wouldn't appoint him to nothing. I won't say anything, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get involved with that guy for nothing. Um, I hate to say it, but I wouldn't. Just wouldn't. Um, I lost my train of thought there. I'm just saying there's some people that they have a track record of doing things that I think are not good for people to get involved with economically or financially. Um, but yeah, anyway, we need to, we need to wrap up guys, uh, before I go too long today and, uh, we'll see how things go from there. But I, that's what I, I, w- I would put, you know, there's so many things I saw this on, I guess there's so many things we could be fixing. There's so many ways to do it. And the fact that they won't do it and they keep using this one issue, this one issue to 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 be all of environmentalism. There is not a there is no talk today about doing anything for the environment. So so little talk about doing anything for the environment. That's not global warming, global warming, global warming, global warming, global warming. That's all it is. We still rip the tops off mountains to mine coal. But global warming. Some of what's done in other parts of the world make what's done here look like nirvana. And for all the talk about electric vehicles, look what's being done to extract rare, rare earth metals. It's disgusting. Yeah. Darkwing remembers my story about running for office. I, I So my lawyer told me the Republican seat was yours if you wanted. He did. I wasn't running at the time. I had run. And I was working with Neil Franklin, my old business partner. And we were at one of these corporate events that I don't really want to go to. And I was talking to our CFO for our company. And I was telling her about the fact that I, because she wanted me to run for office. That was her whole, once she found out how I thought, she thought I could fix everything by being, you know, in office somewhere. And I told her, that's not how that works. That's not why I did it. But I told her the story of running for office. Our attorney this guy named Jeff, big time attorney, walks up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, 
I know where you live. And I know that girl that has that seat right now. If you want that seat in the next election, talk to me and you can have it. But you're going to have to run as a Republican. Dude. Just going to say. Just going to say it. Slime. I, I never pushed a man's hand off my shoulder so fast in my life. That was one of the most predatory energies that I ever felt in my life. Oh, you want power? I can get you power. And you know why it was so creepy? I'm going to tell you right now that there is a way people talk when they're not bullshitting, especially people that run in those circles. When that person tells you, if you want that seat, that seat's yours. That means we'll bump her out of there as fast as we put her in. We needed somebody to fill a hole. You want the job. You got the job. He didn't stutter. He didn't blink. He didn't look away. It was a straight up, you want it, you have it. That's how politics works. That's why I don't have anything to do with it. Anyway, real quick before I go, I want to remind you guys, if you like the show and the work that I do, um, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. And today, you know, we're talking about the economy and everything. I got something for you that really doesn't fit the show at all. It's a kitchen item. It's an end grain wood bamboo cutting board. I did the write up on it over the weekend because I realized I've had this thing for like five years. I think I mentioned it a couple times in some shows I did on cooking, like gearing up in the kitchen all, but I've never, I never put it in tspaz. And I've had it five years and it's still just a great board. Um, there's a lot of people that don't <laughs> Al, Al's asking me about the lawyer. Did he sniff my hair? No, that's a Biden thing. I've never, I've never seen a sniffer, uh, in, in my circles anyway, even when I was in those circles, like I never, that's, it's an odd thing, right? Anyway, the, uh, the end grand, uh, cutting board, uh, I'll tell you why I love this thing. First, it's like 12 by 16. It's like the perfect size for a large cutting and chopping board. Uh, without it being too big, where it gets like it's just annoying to try to store and put away or whatever. It takes up too much counter space. It's got a juice groove all the way around it. So when you put like a piece of steak that you're letting rest on it, it doesn't bleed steak juice all over your countertop. I really love that. It's thick and heavy and stable. It's got rubber feet, so I like that. The big thing is it is bamboo. Now, a lot of people hate bamboo for cutting boards, right? They just hate it. And they hate it for a reason. Bamboo is very hard compared to many woods, and it will dull knives much quicker if it's not end grain, right? If it's not end grain. If it's end grain, it's totally different. Because when you have end grain, and this is why end grain boards themselves are better, it's like the bristles of a dartboard, and that thin knife blade actually is going in between the grains, and then the board sort of heals itself. And so I have not noticed this board dull my knives any more quickly than any of my other boards. And I'm going to confess something right now. I have a, a board addiction problem. I like cutting boards. I think they're beautiful. I really do. They're like works of art. When we go places and my wife drags me, we go on vacation, drags me to all the gift shops and shit. The only thing that I ever end up buying is a board. I have a beautiful one. Oh, it's right here. Look at that. I have a beautiful little one right here. Let me uh, switch the view real quick. This is olive wood. I picked this up in California on our last vacation. When my wife calls this a cutting board, do you know what I say? No, this is not a cutting board. This is a serving board. 
not for putting knives on because it needs to stay pretty for scootery boards and stuff like that. Um, I also have some really nice hardwood and grain boards. I've got some from Kobe Blocks, who's a friend of the family that owns that company. Uh, I love them. I think they're great. But utilitarian, I use this thing day to day over and over again for the same reason that when you're going to haul stuff, you take your pickup truck and not your Corvette. Anyway, you can read the write up if you want to. I believe that everybody should have a really great board, a really great board. This one's 70 bucks, 70 bucks. And if you take care of it the way that you should, it will probably be handed down to your kids when you kick off and die. I mean, it's a lifetime purchase for $70 and that's good price to value ratio. So um, if you do not have a good utilitarian board, that's the one to get. And somebody's saying beautiful. I think they're talking about this one here. Uh, if you want one of these, you'll have to go find a kind of specialty supplier or something for it. This is the kind of thing I would not buy this on an Amazon or something like that because I, I went through like 20 of them when I picked this one out, the olive board for serving. And the only thing that I regret in this is they're expensive and they had bigger ones. And so I was cheap and I bought the smaller one because it was the prettiest one. I wish I would have bought a bigger one because it's the kind of thing I want to look at in person when I buy it. Anyway, guys, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. You can also support us by becoming a member. Your membership will pay for itself by using the discounts. And I'm going to let you know something. The official announcement won't be out till later this week. But Above Phone is, is going to be a permanent MSB discounter. So that's going to be all the stuff that they sell. And they're adding things like open source developed, uh, you know, fully integrated laptops and things like that. So it's a great discount. It's 75 bucks off anything that you would order from them as far as the phones. It's not on accessories, right? But the high dollar item, 75 bucks off, that's on a membership that's 50 bucks a year on one vendor. It's pretty badass. They're also coming on board as a sponsor. Uh, I'm making some changes to the sponsor lineup again. And uh, so they're coming on as a sponsor as well. And they're providing me with a phone. So that's going to be awesome, too. We made that part of the deal on the sponsorship. So uh, we will have a new uh, awesome vendor for MSB. Remember, we just added uh, Land of Biltong. So we have a Biltong vendor now. We have everything in the MSB. So if you're not a member yet, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members. You can see how to sign up there. And I'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to be a Bitcoin breakout episode. And we're, I have a whole folder full of questions from you guys about Bitcoin that I'm going to be answering tomorrow. I know that's not everybody's cup of tea. It's my least popular topic. It shouldn't be, but it is, and I accept that. But I will also be on early tomorrow, 9.30 on my channel. We'll also be on SOE's channel and uh, Hollerose, uh, Living Free in Tennessee channel with Nicole. So I'll be on with Nicole and John tomorrow for our first Tuesday coffee chat, 9.30 in the morning. So if you want to skip out on the Bitcoin content, but you still want to get some live streaming in, come check us out. Uh, Al says, excellent show today, I hope so. I think I got a little derailed on the RFK question line there. I hope I didn't uh, blow that too bad. But I also hope you take very seriously what I told you about today. Because, again, I don't know when this – I don't know when gradually becomes suddenly. But what I can tell you is this. We have created, and again, when I say we, I mean the human race as a whole. We have created 
You know, they talk about the fiscal cliff every time that they want to vote on the debt ceiling and this bullshit. We have created a real fiscal cliff. And the cliff that we have right now is higher and steeper with more jagged rocks on the way down the cliff than anything that we have ever created before. If anybody knows the famous Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson goes down the cliff, right? And then they pull him out. They put him in an ambulance and he rolls out of the ambulance, goes back down the cliff again, right? That's the next recession. It's going to be like that. Please build your wealth. Build a business. Build secondary income streams. Have a way to produce food. Get out of the the, the freaking flashpoint cities because they're going to go up like you have never seen before in the next round of riots. That will happen. When? I don't know, but they will. Anyway, with that... I'll sign off. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with that Bitcoin Breakout episode and the Coffee Chat with John and Nicole. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. You don't have to live the way they tell you to. Make your own way, others will follow. Revolution is you.